0: And if we could just help them to replace this hormone, either through supplementation and or prescription hydrocortisone or cortisol. And food. And food. and But food. hopefully healthy, healthy, healthy right. food, Oh, right?
1: absolutely.
0: And, and exercise. It absolutely. all comes together. Right. What are you seeing in people with low cortisol levels? Uh, what do you observe and what kind of symptoms do these people have?
1: It's kind of an interesting thing, cortisol actually acts like, you know, like, like it escorts if you will, kind of like the union truckers. It brings energy into the mitochondria of your brain cells, the mitochondria is where you make energy, it's like the power plant. And so it brings it in, it brings it in, and if yours are on strike, you're in trouble because you're not getting that energy in there. You're not getting the fuel to go in there, that's glucose.
0: It's what Dr. Hertog described as catabolic in a positive sense it's releasing uh, free fatty acids, glucose and amino acids into the general tissues where it's needed, as you mentioned with the mitochondria, to create you know, energy or its purpose. So without enough cortisol...
1: In the brain it actually helps to show, yeah, it brings it into the mitochondria. So it's, 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 it's integral in bringing it into the mitochondria. And the mitochondria
0: is the powerhouse, the source of energy of, of every cell of the body.
1: That's where you're making energy. And, uh, and you have lots of them, but that's, you know, you do need to have something to help it get in, and that's cortisol. And if you don't have that, your brain sends out a signal, several of them. One of them is that um, you're in trouble, that's number one. They say, hello, this is the brain broadcasting system, this is not a test. Right? <laughs> and it sends out an emergency signal, but not the same pathway, it goes right to the center of the adrenal gland. And it causes co- the adrenal gland to... Have a surge of adrenaline. Now, adrenaline, like I like the concept of the, the union truckers for the cortisol. Adrenaline's like the strike breakers. They come in. They can do the same thing, but they do it at a cost. It's too much. It's too little. It's never quite right, and fights break out online. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> so that it makes you kind of very anxious. And a lot of things that adrenaline does has been attributed to cortisol. Unfortunately. And cortisol has gotten a bad rep because of it.
0: Yeah. And and yet it's really about that under stressful conditions, the body needs enough cortisol as the front line of defense to fight against inflammation, to deal with stress, to deal with the release of amino acids, glucose, and fatty acids, to give you the energy to respond, without which a lot of people have chronic fatigue, especially if now they're depending on adrenaline. And that's, like you said, overreacting or overproduction, so you have this big, you know, build up and then this crash or drop. I mean, some people, they they scream, they get angry, they get upset, and it could be all related to
1: Adrenaline is kind of like kindling, you know, it sort of like sets them up and it gives them energy, yes, and some people who don't have enough adrenaline will fall asleep. They'll be very tired. And the people that have a lot of adrenaline, it's sort of like this kindling that's waiting around and one little spark from someone and they explode.
0: Right. So it's almost like um, they need the trauma to get excited or the drama. I think you once said drama queens or drama people. Well, I
1: call it the trauma-drama effect. That's my book, right? The trauma-drama effect, the chaos-driven life, that they need to have that excitement. In so if order things
0: are too calm and relaxed, and they it's, get terrible. A, they, it's hard yeah. for them because yes. they can't produce enough synthetic cortisol or adrenaline, and they they, they trigger arguments. They
1: create chaos, they create drama. Not on purpose, not that they like the results of it, they don't even realize they're doing it. It's kind of like a dog being wagged by its tail, right? And they don't know why, I mean, just, they just do it, and it, and they don't like the results, but they can't help but do it, and because they need, and, and I see that people that are in, in using drugs and everything, unfortunately, um, they have two modes. They're either, uh, they're either bored out of their minds or they're overwhelmed. And in both two instances, they'll wind up using something because they can't stand how it feels. The bored part is before they're able to have enough fuel in their brain. It also makes you eat sweets, right? Because your brain cells, it's, it's like they, they're sort of isolated. They don't know that they're maybe, maybe diabetic and have lots of sugar in them, but it's not quite, its it's, it's it's out there. It's not in the brain cell. Sugar actually lowers your cortisol later on. And that's not a very good thing. And um, it, that's where the sugar lowers the cortisol, and then you're going to feel even worse later. And actually insulin gets involved, and insulin increases, and then your sugar drops, and then you need to eat again. So it's the same sort of mechanism with alcohol. Alcohol will increase your cortisol briefly, and very briefly, and that's the... That's the that's the kick in the head with it because it's very brief and then it drops off and then you have to keep drinking to keep it elevated.
0: So is it possible that if we were to take um, a population of quote-unquote alcoholics who have difficulty abstaining from or they take a drink but one's not enough to keep drinking and they, they go on drinking binges on a regular basis, could this population then truly be a group that might be deficient in cortisol if they were to be measured? And what tests would you do to
1: measure? They actually, they actually are. There have been studies to show. Okay. There were studies out, out of Yale where they showed that, you know, in a group of people that were alcoholics, and there's more than one study, there's many, more than just out of Yale, that show, and that's something I mentioned in the paper, but it shows um, that people um, who, who get stuck to alcohol, they, you have to have two components. You have to actually... Have it increase your course, you have to have it help you. And because of genetic differences, it doesn't do that to everyone. Um, but it has to give you a good feeling. Well, you referred to
0: the journal, The Annals of the New York Academy of Sciences. And in this journal, you put forth uh, several concepts about, say, an example of alcoholism, or it could be uh, addictions to, say, drugs. Maybe the underlying cause is, and according to other studies, that these people have deficiencies of a very special hormone, and if we could just help them to replace this hormone, either through supplementation and/or prescription hydrocortisone or cortisol, and food, and food, and and food, but
1: hopefully healthy, healthy food. Oh, absolutely, has
0: to be, and exercise. It all comes together. So now you come back full circle to approaching this individual not with a the belief that there's somehow something that they are doing this behavior out of being uh, wanting to be a
1: misconduct yeah, there mean spirited yeah.
0: it's yeah. something deep within biochemically that's my, missing.
1: My, it's that the same drive that would force someone to eat you no know, sugar. I, I need sugar now. That's that same drive. It's a, it's a it's not something that I would, you know, like fault someone for. It's just it's, it's they're driven to do that, and it's a it's a it's a rescue thing. It's basically a survival mechanism, and so they do it to survive. They don't know why, but they do it to survive. And then they beat themselves up afterwards because it's not really what they wanted to do. They didn't want to feel have anyone feel bad, but they but uh, they can't help it, and then they feel like bad people themselves. It's it's a um, yes, yeah, it's, it's really a sad thing. I think the thing that helps people. That is to have an understanding that, it, that they're doing that as a survival mechanism. Why are they doing it? Know what these hormones do, and, and all the hormones have an effect on your emotions, and, uh, and your, your basic concepts of things also have an effect on everything. So if you have a certain belief system, where people that meditate seem to have a much better time of it. You know, they just kind of, you know, they have a different sense of things. If you change how you perceive things and you change what you believe is bad for you, then you, you know, I look at it in terms of cortisol. I look at the total body cortisol as a vat, right, of cortisol. And then it's constantly being, it's a dynamic system. There's constantly stuff leaving and there's cortisol coming in. I I draw a little spigot coming in too and it drops it in. If you can't make enough to cover the holes on the bottom that it's where it's being utilized, Emotions, like if your, your mother-in-law is coming, let's say, you don't like her, and then, so then the hole for emotion kind of widens. And so you pour out even more, you lose it. But if you change your concept about that, and, you know, it's okay if she comes, she won't you won't use it up, you won't waste it as quickly.
0: So if a person learns stress management techniques... Uh, probably uh, meditation. We use timeline therapy to help people to release negative emotions, go back into their timeline so they don't keep repetitively as in a gestalt method of recalling all these past events and then building them up worse. And, you know, of course, with all of this uh, intervention, uh, we can't ignore the fact that these very same people uh, might benefit from deeper, more quality sleep. Probably if we look at the nitric oxide cycle, find out if they're depleted there, restore some nitric oxide, may help the neurotransmitters. So deeper quality sleep in the REM phase may help them to produce better quality hormones. Maybe outdoors in the daylight, that helps with cortisol. So there's a number of lifestyle
1: things they can do. Sleep sleep is pivotal. pivotal. See, sleep sleep is, is absolutely essential. If you don't sleep and you don't sleep well. And a lot of people can't because they have making a lot of adrenaline at night. So anything that will help them to quiet that down where they can sleep is helpful. It's a matter of, things go bump in the night. So I think that's when more fear, there's more fear. Uh, But it's an adrenaline thing. And it's hard for them to go to sleep. They're constantly scanning. Not the adrenaline makes you do it. Not the devil makes you do it, but the adrenaline makes you do it. It's sort of a, a scanning process where you're looking constantly... You know, it's not on purpose, it's, it's a subconscious or unconscious kind of drive. You're not thinking, I'm going to scan everyone and make sure I'm okay, but you're, you're alert to every noise. For the guys that, you know, they don't want to seem all spiked out, what I'll tell them is, it's kind of like being a ninja. Because right? they, can, they can tolerate that concept, it's right. not like they're all spiked out, they're just like a ninja, they're just aware of everything, and they are. One of the things we
0: did, Dr. Shooter, is we we went looking at the research and the evidence and I, like you, attend workshops and I'm a diplomat of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. So with all this training, I decided that if I created a product called Adrenal DMG, see if I called it Cortisol Restore, people wouldn't understand that because there's a bias against restoring cortisol. But people understand adrenaline and they understand the adrenal gland. And dimethylglycine, if they look it up, they'll understand it helps the liver process chemicals and so forth and generates natural energy. But within the adrenal DMG, one of the core substances that's necessary is adrenal cortex, which is essentially the main derivative of cortisol. If you taste it, it tastes identical. It's got that little, you know, know, strong (laughs) taste, a little bit bitter. Bitter. Bitter, bitter, yeah. yeah. That cortisone does. And I know you use time-release hydrocortisone. There's cortisol that's available even hydrocortisone within the cream some claim will give some absorption
1: yeah
0: but all that being said if we help people to first recognize that there could be physical symptoms and then you mentioned there's certain blood tests that can be done that that may determine further that this person truly is um cortisol deficient it's not adrenal deficient it's cortisol deficient first uh what what are some of the blood tests that you would do
1: well you know i look at from the I guess you can do you can do saliva testing, and that supposedly gives you the free cortisol. There's,
0: hormones like a, exi- a morning, noon, and well, late yeah. afternoon. Well, however, how many or times? blood tests, You would me. do a couple times. I would right. do twice. But, but morning and as uh, you so, said, afternoon.
1: So hormones exist in the blood in two ways. Okay. One way is uh, attached to a protein carrier, and the other way is floating around by itself. It's free. It's a free, and I kind of look at it as a, like a three-dimensional thing where you have, like a, let's say, a half-round with that part being the active site, and then if you have it, something else that comes along and covers it over, then it's not active. You know, it's really ready for elimination. So uh, it's the free component that's useful. So getting a total level is not as useful. And that's why, you know, some people use saliva. And it sometimes, you know, works really well. I'm kind of still, I used to do that. I'm kind of thinking about it some more but. It's a. I like using bloods. It, I do a morning, and I could do total. It's very hard to get a free cortisol because it's so volatile. It's responds so quickly that you know one loud noise and your cortisol, your free cortisol will go up very rapidly. So you get two of the more stable components of that, which is the total cortisol is fairly stable, not very, but some more so than the free cortisol. And then you look at the binding protein. And you do a ratio, and that ratio is called the free cortisol index. And that, you do it for morning and afternoon, and the, and when that index is around six, people feel pretty good. It's an estimate of the free cortisol. And at six, people feel good. And I get people, uh, myself, who have similar things, but uh I didn't even make a whole number in the afternoon. I was like, well, I must have been really tired. But it's, um... You know, when the number is 5, it's sort of okay, when that number is 4, let they're starting to really feel it. And it's almost to a person, everything that, you know, that's there, if you look at the numbers, it corroborates, it just basically, you know, like, tells you, okay, then you're on the right track. It shouldn't be used to make the diagnosis. The diagnosis needs to be made on history and physical.
0: So you would include then transcortin or cortisol-binding protein globulin which gives you the the binding protein that is the carrier of the free cortisol and you get a total cortisol and then basically by a formula you get the difference between the two and you find out how much may be available in the free portion
1: it's sort of like an estimate of, of the free cortisol
0: right? yeah and correct me if i'm if i'm wrong on this but dr Terry Hertog once stated that you could live years deficient in testosterone years deficient in say thyroid uh, probably years deficient in growth hormone, but you couldn't live more than hours deficient in cortisol.
1: If you were totally deficient, yes, that's true. Then you have Addison's disease. That's the worst case scenario. Are, do some of these people
0: get symptoms of sweaty palms? Is that one of the extremes and then they... but under stress they they almost will faint I mean they 'll just kind of go into a state of blackout almost fatigue I mean
1: even just standing up quickly doesn 't even have to be a lot of stress I can give them something called orthostatic hypotension, which is when you change position your blood pressure drops That's really what it means and so um, it 's one of the indicators that they have low cortisol that orthostatic hypotension and what it is is that part of the cortisol is used to keep your to keep your um, blood pressure at normal levels and if you have not quite enough of it, blood pressure will go down and that certainly can be very dangerous.
0: And that's true of aldosterone too. Aldosterone is supposed to hold fluids in the tissues and when you get up suddenly maybe you'll feel that same sudden weakness, uh, another symptom of low aldosterone which is usually measured in say a 24 hour urine if it's too low total amount. Uh, they may drink some, a glass of water and within, you know, literally minutes they're feeling like they have to use the restroom because they can't hold the fluid in their tissues. It just goes right through them.
1: And it's for Some people can be like Some people, like myself, I have too much aldosterone. And when oh. I get anxious, okay. only my cortisol goes down, but my aldosterone levels, because of extra ACTH, will go up. And then I spill potassium and hold on to sodium and get puffy. So. So there's variations of the same thing. It's not, it's, you know, just whenever anyone says, like, oh, well, you know, too much cortisol is bad. Well, that's silly. I mean, they say cortisol is bad for you. That's basically generalizing. And generalizing about, it. you can't make a general statement about everyone. Everyone's just somewhat different. You have different components of it. Now,
0: you mentioned Addison's disease, Dr. Susie Shooter, but... Um, in the case of, I, I read John F. Kennedy, one of the former presidents, he had a severe case of Addison's disease, and the doctors at that time understood that he was deficient in cortisol, and they prescribed at that time hydrocortisone, which... I think they gave
1: him prednisone. Oh, they did
0: give him prednisone, which is a long-acting corticosteroid. Is that, isn't that that something that ended up causing him some, maybe... Tissue bone effects, breakdown, absolutely,
1: because, and he had back problems for absolutely. much of his life. So what happens is that? But
0: um, he should have, they could have opposed it with anabolics such as testosterone, well, thyroid, DHA, have, but right? But they
1: also could have given him just cortisol and not the mega, like synthetic one. So what's the difference between like cortisol, hydrocortisone, which is made in the adrenal glands, which is natural food? If you take hydrocortisone, you can't really see any difference between what you take and what you make. It's the same molecule.
0: Which is the same we put in adrenal DMG. It's a it's a cortisol. It's a uh, adrenal cortex which right. has the the cortisol in it, right. but it's safe. It's got a it's short action thing. in the body, it's the same right? Thing, right?
1: It does. Which is why I tend to use if I use uh, hydrocortisone in the pharmaceutical preparation, I'll use uh, some methylcellulose in it which releases it slowly. And we have
0: methylcellulose it. and adrenal DMG. Great, right. So then it
1: releases it slowly. It's very good. So if you have, because I'm an MD. A prescription, I'll do that. But right. not everybody is, is amenable to that. Oh, we'll have to take that. It's terrible plan. Um, was it, uh, James Wilson said in his book, he said, if you give cortisol, it can re- your, your system can reboot, and then you may not need it. And I thought, well, it doesn't make any sense, because he and I lectured back to back. He didn't have any references, but he said he saw it you know, clinically. I thought, well, and I said, at the time, I didn't think I did, but I thought about it, I said, yeah, I think I do. There are people that don't need to continue it. It gives them their rest, so that they're not draining it all the time and they may just need it sometimes when they have the special like really excessive amounts of stress. Well under
0: stress of of extreme sports or maybe uh, it's uh, times during the year where they have a flu or cold. Uh, Didn't Dr. William McKinley Jeffries in his book Safe Uses of Cortisol, he stated that Upping the dose of uh, hydrocortisone or cortisol could very well knock out the flu symptoms. And yet, it's almost a contradiction because some people think of cortisol as somehow depressing the immune system. So, what is the action there?
1: The difference is that too much cortisol can suppress the immune system. So, okay. so it's a matter of degree. So, it's a, I like, you know, what you know, Terry, I used an analogy that was a little bit different. I used it like, if you shoot a fly with a can and you have big holes in your ass. I like his analogy. I like Terry. I, like Terry. I mean, you may get the fly eventually, but you'll have big holes in your ass. Right. But I like his analogy better because it just kind of was very visual. He said, it's good to drink six to eight glasses of water a day. So you drink six to eight gallons of water. That's not good for you. Right. No. So then that's the difference. So now we attribute the you know, cortisol properties to the six to eight gallons of water. And we say, oh, water's bad for you.
0: Which is like the synthetic prednisones and corticosteroids because they're so strong even in five milligrams the action is just lingers in the body.
1: So it's not a matter of it's not even a matter of like amounts for this is going to act differently in the body. So okay. what happens is that you have a molecule and it has a certain three-dimensional spatial orientation and, they, and, and the pharmaceutical company will take and put a chemical moiety like a chemical grouping onto it not so that they can improve on Mother Nature, it's so they can patent it, really. Right. It's, it's a business, really. I'm and i don't you point them. that out
0: yeah. to people. Yeah. And,
1: and it basically what it does is that it's almost like cortisol. It's not quite. It's a contortion molecule three-dimensionally. And so because it's slightly out of whack, out of, you know, out of alignment from what, what regular cortisol would be, when it attaches to the receptor, it's almost as if it screws in. It keeps it on, 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 all the time. So that's why it's way more potent, even dose per dose. You know, even if you do all the adjustments, mm-hmm. it's still extremely potent because it's on all the time. The body was not meant to have it on all the time. It was meant to have it on and then off. If you're releasing it slowly, that's good. But the mechanism at the receptor is still on and off. It's not like on, 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 on. So that's why you have such major side effects with something like prednisone or dexamethasone, which is very, very potent. The spin would be. If I, if I had a drug I would say, well, we only have to take it once a day. Right? I would think of some positive aspect.
0: Yet it's more healthy to take cortisol the way the body releases it, and then it sustains it during a brief period of three to four hours. If you add a little methylcellulose, it'll stay a little longer, say six hours.
1: Well, so six hours, even if you don't, you just take it, right? Although it's not sick. You know, I found when people just took it without the methylcellulose part of it, it would just go up and it would go down. And then all day long, they were constantly chasing themselves around, as I did too. Yeah. I know
0: in our intake uh, clients, we have a short version uh, that reviews all the pro- probable most important hormones and the relationship to symptoms, and then later, because you always say, treat the patient, don't treat the labs, I mean, you're you're dealing with the patient and what's their issue, not only the the history and physical, but some of these questions, do they ring true for a cortisol deficiency? shortness of breath, allergic reactions, sneezing, runny nose, sore throat, uh, need 20 minutes to one hour daily to nap or quiet time just to get through the day, low resistance to stress, dizzy when standing up, uh, low blood pressure, uh, fast beating heart in stressful situations, feel better after eating something sweet, craving sugar, salty, spicy foods, digestive problems, nausea, underweight, inflammatory arthritis, inflammation to... Uh, intolerance, excuse me, to medications, food uh, allergies, allergic symptoms present in the nose, throat, ears, and skin, brown age spots, and large white spots of depigmentation or eczema. Are all these probable relationships to low cortisol?
1: You may have to be careful. because when, when, uh, What I've noticed is that when people go through these lists, they say, well, I don't have that, I don't have that. You don't have to have everything to have it. You can have maybe just a few things. So like not everyone that has a low cortisol is thin. If they eat a lot of stuff because they have this craving for food mm-hmm. or to
0: make craving. up for the... Oh, because
1: yeah. they just need something. Because it increases their cortisol they feel better, briefly. So if they eat sugar now, like, they're going to eat a lot of it. But they're going to gain weight if they have a lot of insulin. It's going to make them gain weight. So everyone is thin.
0: So is it a myth that... People, if they take something that restores their cortisol level, that they're automatically going to gain weight, as all the TV commercials led people to believe that, that somehow this cortisol the bad guy, we got to suppress it because it's the cause of you know abdominal obesity and so forth.
1: Yeah. That, that's just sort of like, that, that's actually silly because what they're doing is they're, so if you look at it as a, as a pie chart, right, like a half pie chart, basically it's a rule of thirds that applies in medicine. It's not really, um, you know, in one way or another, basically one-third of, you know, the rule of third says one-third of the people have this, you know, too much, one-third of the people have too little, one-third of the people have just right now. And so two-thirds of the population doesn't have low cortisol. Actually, two-thirds of the population doesn't have high cortisol either, right? right. So to say that, I think, abdominal obesity really is a lot of insulin and insulin. poor diets, right? Yeah. So it's not just cortisol. But what they're doing is they're taking a page from the people that have too much. They're saying, well, that's why we have a lot of. You know, obesity no it's not because you eat too much you eat too much of the bad things right, right. that'll give you about know, mcdonald's will give you or whatever it is that you
0: eat the right? trigger could be a, a, a stimulus from low cortisol deficiency and the cravings but then when they sit there at the fast food chain and they eat the wrong foods they could have a cravings for healthy foods. And maybe in that case if yeah. they eat too much fruits and vegetables they're not going to gain much weight at all if any yeah
1: but, but i mean you can have too much um, if you have a uh, like, you don't have to have low cortisol to eat fast foods and, and have too much and get fat. So, it's not, it's so to, say, to, to generalize and to say that everyone who gains weight, oh, it has to be from too much cortisol, that's silly because it, it's a generalization. And, and it was something that doctors get caught up into. And you said it was my thing that treat the patient, not the labs. Um, that was something I learned in medical school. And that's something that all doctors learn, I, I thought. I mean, I'm pretty sure it is.
0: Very few of them know to replace cortisol. I've been in the gym, yeah, I've been in Gold's gym and some of these famous gyms and really famous bodybuilders and you see them hacking and sneezing and blowing their nose and you're going, wow, you know, <laughs> and it's, it's quite likely, exactly like you said, they have a huge amount of anabolic uh, buildup from 10 times the dose of natural testosterone. Uh, they're using synthetics often. and. Uh, Uh, they they may be aware of the need to cut out excess estrogens, they use anosterol and arumadex and so forth drugs, uh, but they have no clue about the importance of cortisol and how that would actually, in my experience, is when you're working out and you drive the body hard and if you can support the adrenals with proper dosages of cortisol where it's necessary and supporting good sleep and quality uh, workouts then you can actually increase the testosterone and growth hormone levels to higher levels than normal up to where they work synergistically for the body you don't
1: drop you get, out from congestion
0: you get a better work you, you get a better workout yeah. and uh, you, you don't have any downtime i mean the amount of downtime these people have in the gym because they get a cold or flu and they think oh someone sneezed on me well it's not exactly that it's an internal milieu of their Sneeze own on themselves. Please give us a review on iTunes, and we'll be happy out of the group of reviews to choose a lucky winner of one of our award-winning products. It could be EstroBlock, Adrenal DMG, Stem Cell Strong, or even Power & Speed. We'll ship you a bottle at no cost. You'll enjoy it just from basically giving us a review on iTunes. Also, visit DelgadoProtocol.com. That's DelgadoProtocol.com, and take our free hormonal quiz. Looking forward to assisting you to be your absolute best.